Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Thank you to Beatrice and to Norman, to Roger and our musicians uh, for leading us up to this point. Let me add my welcome uh, to you. It's good to see some folks back visiting again. It's good to see folks from the church family back from the other side of the world after uh, holidays. And it was really uh, wonderful in the first service to be able to welcome people from our church family back to church who have not been here for some uh, time. One of the verses in the passage we read is, is, don't neglect to meet together. That's not a rebuke. It's more of an invitation because we need um, each other. Welcome to you all. Now, Hebrews has been our uh, focus, our Bible ground for much of this year. And Hebrews, as a letter, as a book, invites us to think deeply about uh, who Jesus is in order that we understand how magnificent he is. Why, though? Such knowledge is vital for the Christian life so that we will keep going. I mean, there's the outbox and the practicality of Hebrews, all this stuff about who Jesus is so that we keep going. Because it is hard to be a Christian today. That's obvious from our public and political life, but it's no less hard as a school teacher or a kid in the classroom. It's hard to stick with the Bible as the rule of faith and life and seek to live by it. It's hard because it puts you out of step with the prevailing culture, and hardly any of us, in truth, really want to be different and stand out. Just think of our teenagers, how acutely that is the case. There's a phrase near the end of Hebrews 10, and we'll turn to this next week, that I think very accurately and emotively expresses the struggle. It's one of these phrases that gets your head and your heart at the same time. It's in chapter 10, verse 36, for you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. What is promised is eternity in the new creation. Doing the will of God is living out our lives on the way. And so we have need of endurance. And I guarantee that a number of us here this morning or listening online have need of endurance. Corporately or individually. Let's pray. To that end. Our loving Heavenly Father, we draw near to you now in prayer, in need of endurance. 
hear and answer our prayer, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've got a Bible or on your phone, uh, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, it's page 1007. And there are some headings on the back of the service sheet to help us. Notice first the structure of the passage. It begins, verse 19, with the word, therefore. And the word, therefore, means therefore. In other words, all that I have said thus far. It means the author is going to say something now based on what he has already said. But wonderfully for us, in verses 19 to 21, uh, he summarizes what the therefore embraces by focusing on two wonderful privileges we have as Christians. Access to God's presence and Jesus as our high priest. And that is followed by three exhortations in light of them. Notice the order, indicative followed by imperative. What we have by grace, after that, what we are to do. Three imperatives, let us draw near to God, let us hold fast. The confession, let us stir up and encourage one another. Uh, Notice the emphasis on the corporate, let us, let us, let us. Becoming a Christian requires an individual to come to Jesus in repentance for the forgiveness of their sins. You cannot become a Christian by being born into a particular family or attending a church community. It only is through personal repentance and faith. But while becoming a Christian is a personal matter, being a Christian is not. A Christian is a forgiven sinner reconciled to God, but also reconciled to other forgiven sinners. That corporateness is expressed in Christians belonging to a local church, a church family like Chalmers. I had a colleague in London who told me of the occasion as a minister in a little church outside Cambridge. There was one particular individual in the village who was quite critical of the church community and regularly said, you are just a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, To which my friend responded, you are correct, but there is always room for one more. Sometimes as middle-classy type people, whatever that means, we, we would do well to acknowledge that we are a bunch of forgiven sinners, reconciled to God and reconciled to one another by grace, muddling on together, helping each other live life, helping each other to endure. In the first service, there were a lot of people here who... Uh, don't go to church normally. And I invited them to find a church where the Bible is taken seriously and to give it six months and to see they won't inherit salvation by going, but they will see what salvation does in the life of individuals and in the life of a church. Do pray that the many who came in service one who aren't Christians will go to a church and find And remarkably, there were two people here who uh, woke up this morning and decided to do exactly that. So God is ahead of us. Now, corporately, led us, led us, uh, led us. Now, let's scroll back down to the detail and try and understand something of the wonder of these truths. Two wonderful privileges. First, access to God's presence. Let's read verses 19 and 20 again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since 
we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. What does that mean? As Christians, we have confidence to enter the holy places. What are the holy places? And we know from the rest of Hebrews that the holy places, or uh, elsewhere called the heavenly sanctuary, is heaven. Heaven is where God is. Heaven is where Jesus Christ is. Heaven is not here. And one day, heaven will become here in the new creation, when the whole thing is fused together in one. And we will be physically with Jesus Christ in his bodily resurrected person, bearing the scars of sacrifice. We will physically be with him and with God. Heaven is where God is, where God is present, where Christ is. And the wonderful privilege we have as Christians is now today access into God's presence, access to come alongside God in his person with our person beside the Lord Jesus Christ supernaturally at any time, in any place, whatever our circumstances. Let me use some illustrations to help us get the sense of it. Regarded as one of the greatest footballers uh, of all time and labeled the greatest by FIFA, Pele was uh, a great sportsman. Uh, on his death, here is the testimony of someone who watched him play and met him a number of times. Uh, listen to Gary Lineker's testimony on Match of the Day. It was a wonderful and moving tribute to his ability. Pelly, this is not Gary Lineker, this is somebody else. Pelly's aura left you knowing you were in the presence of greatness. Imagine if you were with him or watched him. Now, I can just tell that that illustration did nothing for some of you. <laughs> Let me try again. Classical music might be your passion. The Clyburn is, and I'm not just reading this, I watched it and enjoy this. The Clyburn is the most prestigious piano competition in the world. The 2022 winner was an 18-year-old from South Korea called uh, Yun Cham Ling. His performance of Rachmaninoff's Third Piano Concerto, which is the piece that defines one's repertoire and ability as a concert pianist, has been hailed across the classical music world as the greatest ever recorded piano performance. And I listened to it yesterday in the background as I worked on the sermon. It is extraordinary. It's astonishing. At the end of the piece, the orchestra just sat. And just marveled at this genius. And the boy with humility just looked down. The uh, music critics unanimously said, in the presence of greatness. One more illustration that I hope we'll all get and understand. More than 60 years ago, Martin Luther King visited the University of North Carolina to speak on the struggle for racial justice, as was his uh, want. He was a young man, not yet famous. And here is the testimony of someone who, as a young student, now aged 80, quote, I felt really privileged to have been there. Martin Luther King was so impressive, but yet so humble. You almost had the feeling that you were in the presence of greatness. After the meeting, this uh, individual, uh, Brass Neck, as a young 19-year-old student, sidled up to Martin Luther King and said, could I ask you uh, some more questions? 
So uh, Luther King said, okay, walk with me to the car. We spoke for nearly 20 minutes. I do not remember what a single one of my questions were. I don't even know if I wanted to know the answer. He must have heard them a hundred times, but he was so gracious. It was an experience that left a lasting impact. The most impressive person I ever spoke with. An ordinary university student in the presence of greatness. In the presence of greatness. What do we have as Christians? Access into the presence of greatness. Anywhere, anytime, whatever our circumstances. And how great the greatness of a holy, awesome, almighty God. Supernaturally, in person, we come into the personal presence of God with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms, whenever we want, wherever we are, no matter what our circumstances. Not a once-in-a-lifetime encounter that you will never forget. It's not like listening spellbound to Rach 3 on a recording. It's not even like listening live. It's not 20 minutes with God as you walk to your car. It's all of the rest of your life as a Christian. Supernaturally, in your mind and in your heart, in the Holy Spirit, and physically in the new creation. Now, all that said, is it not marvelous that we can come into his presence when we are walking to the car or in the supermarket? I used to think this kind of thing was irreverent and dodgy. It's not. It's wonderful. Or at work or at the gym. That's not irreverent. It's wonderful. There is no special place you need to be. There is no special building you need to be in. There is no barrier to shut you out from the presence of God as a Christian, but surely there is. What makes us so reticent to come with boldness to God? Our sinfulness, surely that is a barrier to entering into the presence of God who is perfectly holy. Yes, it is but for the blood of Jesus. And our author reminds us, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Then he explains it in a different way, verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. The new and living way is uh, the new covenant, better than the old way, the old covenant. Under the old covenant, the relationship between God and believers was uh, through an elaborate religious system of ongoing sacrifices. And access to God's presence was barred. God was present in the temple, a physical building on the earth, in the Holy of Holies, the bit in the middle behind a curtain. Once a year, once a year, the high priest, who was replaced when they died, uh, representing the people, was permitted once a year for one hour of that one day, once a year, to go behind the curtain into God's presence, into the presence of greatness, to offer a sacrifice. That was called the Day of Atonement. 364 days of endless sacrifices. One day of atonement when one person for one hour would access God's presence. That cycle repeated year after year after year after year, century after century, until Jesus came to earth. 
and died as the once and for all perfect sacrifice for sin. And through his flesh broken and his blood shed, he opened up a new and living way for us to access God's presence. And just clock what we do not have. There are no more daily sacrifices, no more days of atonement. A new and living way such that we can come into God's presence anytime, anywhere. And God is not in a room in a building on the earth. He is in heaven. And it's not access to a room in a temple on the earth he has opened up. It is access to the heavenly sanctuary, heaven, the dwelling place of God, all because of Jesus. Now, there is no simple way to explain this. It's just a wonderful, wonderful truth that we need to encourage each other and spur each other on to understand, to, 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 to let our minds uh, grasp it. How can we be sure? How can we be confident? Is it really safe? Is it really safe to boldly come into the presence of a holy God, a sinful men and women? Is it really true that supernaturally in your mind and heart, you can stand there before God uh, uh, almost uh, kneeling at his feet with Jesus Christ beside you in the heavenly realms. Yes, because our salvation is through his death alone, by grace alone. Our part is zero. Now we know that. It's 100% grace and 0% us. But we often, and Rogers used this phrase over the past, we often live a sub-Christian life. We're afraid of that. As a Christian, you can at any point, at any moment, enter into the presence of the greatness of a holy and an awesome God, knowing you are fully forgiven, and it does us good to think of it not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. If you are a Christian trusting in the blood of Jesus, God looks at you and he sees a forgiven man or woman. He looks at you and he sees someone he has sanctified, set apart as holy. That is how he sees you. And there are many other metaphors elsewhere in Scripture that describes spiritual realities. He looks at you and he sees a child. He looks at you and he sees a brother or sister of the Lord Jesus. Access to God, the second great privilege, Jesus is our high priest. Verse 21, and the author to the Hebrews is very confident that in these nine words we have grasped the previous six chapters. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, just a short statement, we spent a lot of time on the past weeks understanding what it means to have a priest in Jesus. Let me try and summarize in 15 lines. We all need a priest, someone who will make a sacrifice to God on our behalf to appease God's anger, his judgment against sin, Jesus is our priest. Unlike every other priest, he does not offer sacrifices. He offers himself as the once and for all atoning sacrifice for sin. He ended the need for sacrifices by his sacrifice. 
It was the perfect one. God in uh, sinless flesh. He ended the need for sacrifices. He ended the need for priests, human priests. He is the one priest we all need. He is the priest forever. And all that he achieved is vindicated by his resurrection, his return to heaven, where he physically is present with God in the heavenly sanctuary. That is where he is today and will be every day until he comes again, our great high priest, our great high priest over the house of God, which is the church. And what is his priestly ministry? What does Jesus do for us? He stands there beside God with his nail-pierced hands and his nail-pierced feet and the scar on his side. He stands there or sits there as the crucified, glorified Christ. He stands there. And so our assurance is that we can stand there now in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls. And his priestly ministry is primarily to give us assurance because assurance Confidence in our salvation is the greatest contribution to our endurance in life. Knowing that we will get there because he is there. Knowing that he is there with God, glorified in his body, with the scars of sacrifice, means that God has perfectly accepted his sacrifice. Assurance for endurance. His priestly ministry is to pray for us. He prays for us. He prays for you. He prays for me. He prays before we send an email to somebody. Well, you guys don't send emails. You don't read my emails. So, Before we message somebody with some modern means and ask them to pray for us, God knows and God prays. Why does he involve us? Because we are the means of fellowship with one another. His priestly ministry is also to sympathize and help us in our weakness, in our temptation. We do not need a priest on earth when we have a priest in heaven. Now, what then is a Christian minister, not a priest? Christian ministers are here to speak Jesus' words as the servants of Jesus, to point people to Jesus, to care for people, but they do not have any part in the forgiving of sins. How could they? No one must come between you and God. Now, my heart wanted to say 
No one must come between you and God other than Jesus. And that's right, but not quite right. If you hear that as saying, no one must come between you and God other than Jesus because you're not yet quite sure that he is reconciled to God, that's not right. No one comes between you and God because of Jesus. See, it's different. No one comes between you and God because of Jesus. And as you come into the very presence of God, Christ is there beside you. Now, they are wonderful privileges we have as Christians. Three exhortations in light of them, verses 22 to 25. Firstly, let us draw near uh, to God. Uh, verse 22, let us therefore... So we have access to God's presence in the heavenly realms supernaturally into the presence of greatness whenever, wherever, however we are with Jesus as our high priest there assuring us that we have access. Let us therefore draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure uh, water. And he just says it again, unless we are not sure. Let us draw near, and I'm going to say again, why and how? Because you're sprinkled clean. You're washed clean. What does it mean to draw near? Well, it means to draw near. It means to pray. And here is a, a really helpful description in the Bible of what happens when we pray. When we pray, our Father, or dear Father, or my God, or help, or sorry, we are coming into the physical, personal presence of a holy God. We are there with him with Christ beside us. Don't misunderstand when we say pray in Jesus' name. It's quite hard to explain the, the, the role of Christ. Yes, we pray in Jesus' name, but it's not that we are here and he is there and he takes... There's, there's truth in that, but we, 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 we start our prayers with Father, directly to him, because of Christ. It means to listen to God as he speaks to us through his word. Jesus' word is God's word. Jesus is in heaven. This is his word. That's why we just teach from the Bible, because Jesus' word is what we need to hear and he speaks to us, he speaks to us now from heaven, where he is. His words, endurance for the journey. 
And it means to draw near around the Lord's table when we eat bread and wine, to remember him and receive spiritual nourishment, to draw near to God in all of these things. For you have in need of endurance. So draw near to him. In his presence, there with God in the heavenly sanctuary, talk to him, pray to him, and burden your soul to him. Cry to him. Cry to him for others. In his presence, there with God in the heavenly sanctuary, sing to God. Sing with Jesus. Sing the Psalms. They are Jesus' songs. Sing with him in the presence of God. In his presence there with God in the heavenly sanctuary, listen to him as he ministers to you through his word. You see, we are here in this building listening to God's word. But as Christians, we are in the heavenly sanctuary supernaturally listening to Jesus Christ ministering to us from his word. Second, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful hope. What is the hope referred to? It is Christian hope in the return of Jesus and the dawning of the new creation. There's a now and a not yet. Uh, Roger has really helpfully uh, reminded us that in terms of our salvation, the not yet is now. We are fully, fully uh, forgiven, but we are not physically with Jesus and with God in the new creation. That will happen when Jesus Christ returns and the dwelling place of God, which is heaven, will become the dwelling place of God and us physically. We're there spiritually, we will be with him physically. And that is what we hope for. We're not home in that sense yet. And in the journey there, we are in need of endurance. And my experience of being a pastor is that when people come close to going to be with the Lord, they don't need endurance because God kicks in in a very powerful way and Christians pray for them and they are encouraged and spurred on. I wonder if it's in the, the, the middle years of life where we really need to encourage each other. Notice we're not told to hold fast to our hope without wavering. We're told to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. And what is the confession of our hope? All that we know, all that we have learned about the Lord Jesus Christ. Learn Hebrews off by heart. I'm reading the Bible with a fellow in Manchester who um, has learned Hebrews off by heart. It's what people used to do. And that's a great way of holding fast to the confession of our hope. Holding fast to Jesus means holding fast to all that the Bible pours into our heads and hearts about him. Hold fast without wavering. 
But we waver. Of course we waver. We all waver. It's easy to let go. It's easy to let go of bits of the Bible. But it's only easier for the passing moment that is this life compared to eternity. But the, just notice the very end of verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That little phrase, he who promised is faithful. Hold fast to Jesus and know that he is holding fast to you. It's not an even grip either. His grip is stronger. His grip is tighter. He will hold us fast. Thirdly and finally, let us stir up and encourage one another. Verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Stirring up to love and good works. Stirring up is a a kind of um, enthusiasm or inspiring or exhorting, encouraging one another is gentler. Sometimes we need stirred up. Sometimes we're up for being stirred up. Sometimes we need a gentle word of encouragement. All for this reason, to love God, to love one another, to love others. And to be liberated to good works in the journey to the new creation. We are not to bunker down. We are to give ourselves to Christian work and service. That'll be a big theme as we come to the end of the letter. How do we stir up and encourage one another? How do we do it? The writer says, let us consider how... What's the answer? It's in the middle of these verses by not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of all of us at some stage in life. Or almost all of us. The sum has wide arms. We need each other. I need you more than you know. We need each other. We need to meet with one another. It is what a church is. When we gather on a Sunday, or small groups, or prayer meetings, or one-to-ones, we gather to encourage. We gather to be encouraged. What are we doing now? Well, in a corporate way, we're doing what we can do walking home our own this afternoon. Because we have access to the presence of God, and because Jesus is our high priest, in the last 75 minutes, 
we have drawn near to God in prayer. We have sung with Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary. We have drawn near to Jesus as he has spoken to us from his inspired word. And because we are a church family who know each other, we are now to stir up one another and to encourage one another. For we have need of endurance. But the very best way to encourage one another because we have need of endurance is to point us to Jesus Christ in his glorified person with God in heaven with his scars, his perfected sacrifice. We have need of endurance and the greatest answer to that is the assurance of our salvation. He will get us home. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these powerful exhortations off the back of these wonderful privileges that we have. Will you help us to meditate on these truths, to work hard to understand them, to wrestle until we do. And thank you for bringing us into a church family where we can do them together. Lord, churches are not always places where that happens, though. And we pray that increasingly they will be and that you would heal where there are issues and that in the meantime we might find encouragement and strength from other Christians And we pray, Lord, that whoever is here or listening online who is desperately in need of endurance, that that picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in our mind's eye in heaven, glorified, reigning as our great high priest, would give us 100% assurance of our salvation and that he will hold us fast. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.